seriously focused on quality and everything, in my opinion, will look after itself. If you do a quality product, if you if you have a, a quality process that you follow in terms of you know your methodology and look for quality people, everything just hinges around quality. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Property Developer Podcast. It's wonderful to have you with me. How is everything going with you? Good? Your project's mainly on track? I hope so. I have a fantastic show for you today with another international guest, this time from New Zealand. Before we get to that, here's an update on what I've been up to lately. My 20 townhouse project is rapidly approaching completion. The landscaping is now underway. The front brick fences have been completed. The gas and water check meters have been installed, and I'm working on satisfying the many conditions of the land subdivision permit so we can obtain our occupancy certificates without any delays. This is the very unglamorous side of property development. Dealing with authorities and councils is a real battle of wills and determination. You just have to keep chipping away at them until you get what you need from them, but it always takes longer than you expect. I'm also beginning to turn my attention to the marketing of our second project, We will be using one of the townhouses from the first project to act as a display suite, so I'm looking into getting that staged to make it look even more fantastic. The tail end of the project is another very busy period in the developing cycle, requiring lots of phone calls and communication with many people and businesses to ensure a successful settlement and closure to the development. With our latest project, we have just heard from Council that they are happy with our updated application and we will be moving to the public notice stage. As usual, it always takes longer than you think for Council to process these things. Interestingly, it seems Council has started outsourcing the placing of notices to an external consultant, so they will place the sign on the subject site in conjunction with the notice letters being sent to the neighbours. The Council planner told me they are doing this because they were having issues with advertising notices going to private town planners based in the city and they might be away or tardy in getting the display signs up or the advertising signs up, and council was issuing notice letters to the neighbours, but they weren't seeing any signs. It makes sense, I guess, but of course, the cost is borne by the developer. I also received a phone call from a neighbour asking me whether there had been any progress on the application, as he was interested in seeing what was proposed. He raised the common issues neighbours often have with proposed new developments like density, mass parking, etc. And when I was last out at the site, I knocked on his door and introduced myself to him so that we could have a face-to-face meeting and have a chat about things. It was good to speak with him and clear up some of his concerns, and he said he would wait until he saw what was proposed before he jumped to any conclusions. So we will see how that unfolds over time. And just before we jump into the main part of the show, I'd like to say thanks to all the listeners who have been emailing me and sharing what they've been up to with their developing. I'm very grateful to you for listening to the show and wish you every success with your projects. Okay, on to today's guest. New Zealand developer Graham Fan joins us to talk about his experience doing property developing in Auckland. Graham has completed some fantastic high-end properties and is now looking to take his developing to the next level. In this discussion, Graham shares with us the one thing he focuses on to ensure his business succeeds, what it is like developing in Auckland, and what he has learned about himself along the way. Graham is a long-time listener of the show, 
So he was ready for my first question about what food he would eat until he was sick. Um, well, yeah, as I said, it's a, a potentially a, a fairly long answer, but I'd have to say my top pick would be uh, rib steak with the bone in. Um, I'm, a, I'm a particular, uh, I'm, a, I'm a meat eater, really. I have to say, um, and <laughs> it's just something I can I could eat till the literally till the cows come home. So yeah, that is that is my favourite food with uh, a nice side of fries, crispy fries on the side. Oh, yeah. And how do you cook your steak? Are you a sort of rare, medium rare, or a well done kind of guy? Uh, yeah, I used to be a real carnivore and have it rare, but uh, in my old age, I'm tending more towards a, a medium rare as as kind of my sweet spot. <laughs> Well, there's definitely no shortage of uh, beef options over in New Zealand, is there? No, no, um, no, not at all. But also, I'd have to say the Australian uh, um, beef is uh, also, you know, you guys you guys do quite well in that, don't you? Oh yeah, massive beef uh, production over here. Yeah, yeah. No, well, we're, yeah, we've got we've got ample options over here. So yeah, we're, we're not spoiled for choice, that's for all sure. Right. So you're a meat and potatoes kind of guy, then I'm surmising. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's exciting to have another international guest on the podcast, so thanks for joining us. Can uh, you, so you're coming to us from Auckland in New Zealand? That's correct. So can you give us a bit of a background on your property developing, how you got into it and the type of projects that you're doing? Right, well, uh, I, um, I actually returned home from the UK. Um, I spent a lot of time over in, in UK, primarily London. So I've been back about three years now um, and actually came back to Auckland at a really good time. Um, Auckland's going through a, a fairly big transformation um, right now um, and that's looking to continue for the foreseeable future. Um, so we're getting a lot of immigration. There's, there's actually a, a, a quite a lot of, um, I guess, uh, there's a demand supply imbalance at the moment. Um, there's a big shortage, so that's that's putting a lot of pressure on prices. Um, and so, you know, we're going through a huge um, planning change. So the Auckland Council are, are undertaking a lot of um, planning changes to effectively release a lot more land um, availability in terms of getting more density um, within the greater Auckland area just to try and help cope with um, the, the shortage that we've currently got. So um, there's a lot of opportunities out there in Auckland um, and given that you know there's, there's more immigra- immigration coming through, there's, you know, there's a lot more sophistication in terms of uh, tastes and what have you. So all of those things are feeding into a, a quite buoyant Auckland market, um, and that's actually having a good effect on the, the country as a whole, given that Auckland's the biggest city. In terms of my experience, um, I'm, I guess I'm really just sort of taking um, what I learned from when I was working over in the UK through to here. So my focus is primarily on the upper end of the market um, and undertaking my own developments now. So that's been pretty exciting. Um, and I'm looking to just further that on. So currently I'm in the townhouse space, um, but I'm looking to um, move more into uh, low-rise to low to mid-rise apartment schemes, um, which I'm currently working on at the moment. And so what were you doing in London? Was it some sort of property management or yeah, so management? It was um, a fantastic role. I was 
head of development for a boutique property investment company over there. So we were looking after high net worth individuals um, in in London. So all the sort of bellwether postcodes, um, primarily just refitting period character homes, listed buildings to, you know, incredible budgets, just just unreal budgets. Um, the the it's just kind of almost out of this world, just really unheard of, and and we were just having to service a lot of um, high net worth individuals who were looking to to move in. So I had the opportunity to work on some fantastic projects where we were doing some really high end schemes. Um, and given given London's landscape, um, the planning constraints meant that you know you were having to be quite creative about what you could do to create more space and volume so we were doing a lot of basement conversions going going down and um yeah so that, that was that was a really exciting time so i was just working for a lot of um uh you know the affluent space and and it was just yeah it was it was awesome really 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 learned a lot yeah what was it that you learned what did you bring back from london that you're applying now in in your auckland projects um well that's a good question i mean i i guess it was um, spatial design, so just making sure that things work internally as well as you know looking fantastic on the outside. So there was a lot of um, I guess design input um, put into making sure that spaces worked. Um, you, when you're dealing with constrained spaces, you know you have to make sure that the whole place flows really well together. So I've I've kind of continued on that, um, and I'm continuing to learn to to try and ensure that you know whatever you develop is um has has you know some enduring properties where you can actually you know live and enjoy the place for for, for you know for for as long as possible so i've looked at some of the projects that you've done and they they are quite beautiful and they do look design driven is that something that you focus on yeah absolutely so i mean design and quality are the i guess the two major characteristics that are really underpinning what I do um, that's you know I guess from a design point of view I think certainly as a developer you have to really tap into what the market wants so I guess with the you know the um, advent of the internet you know people do a lot of research online so there's you know there's a lot of opportunity to see what's beautiful out there and that's great because that just feeds into, you know, um, it just raises the bar in terms of what people have to essentially develop and, and create a, a unique selling proposition as a developer. So that's um, an area that I'm particularly interested in and passionate about in, in terms of design. Um, and then equally the side of is, is quality. So obviously when your buyers are walking through the properties, they have to be able to see that. Um, as a developer, you've you've really taken the time and the effort to to make sure that you know you're building a quality product. One unfortunate thing um, that I I still see here in Auckland, you know, there's there's so much pressure on building things quickly, um, and 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 also cheaply. So quality suffers as a result. So there's still actually, unfortunately, quite a lot of poor quality stock being built. Um, and it would be nice to think that, you know, in a in an ideal world, that all the new stuff that's getting built now is, is of a high quality. But unfortunately, that's just not the case. And when you say it's not built to a very high standard, what what is it about them that's not very good quality? Um, 
Well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, there's just poor finishing. Um, you can see that, um, you know, junctions are not perfect. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, just give specific examples. But, it's, yeah, I mean, it's just obvious when you're walking through that, you know, the workmanship hasn't been done to a standard that, you know, you would expect of, of spending hundreds, if not thousands, uh, sorry, if not millions of, of dollars, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on, on a property. Um, you can just see that um, because of the speed, people of, of things needing to be built, people are, are, are taking um, shortcuts and, and not doing a, as good a job as you, you'd expect. And you mentioned just before around delivering a product that buyers want or that they aspire to. And how, how do you go about determining what that might be? Sorry, I missed you there. What was that? You talked about building a product that, that your buyers would want or that the market desires. How do you go about determining what that is? What does that look like? Yeah, so in terms of um, market research, I guess a lot of that is, is through understanding um, the community that you're actually building in, um, doing some market research in terms of looking at stats, um, going online, um, reading where the trends are. Um, there's a lot of information that you can find nowadays, um, even through, um, I'm sure in Australia, you know, it's the same, but in New Zealand we have the statistics um, organisation that the government produces, um, you know, quite, quite a um, informative information about what's happening with the population, what the trends are, um, and you can sort of make quite good um, decisions based off that and seeing what's, what's being demanded and where the growth is. I also look at um, things like schools, um, you know, what the particular demographic um, is in that particular area, and such as schools, um, you know, income levels, and also just going around um, you know, actually through the community and, and just observing and being quite mindful of, of what's happening and just, you know, speaking to neighbours, definitely speaking to agents, finding out what's what's going and, and you know, what um, what the buyers are, are looking for in particular. Um, and then also, I guess, in terms of a crystal ball, trying to sort of, ga- um, sort of gauge where the trends are going, going forward. Um, I think you know, in the next five to ten years, we'll see quite a lot of um, new technologies coming forward. I mean, you know, you're talking about driverless cars, which I think are going to be coming online, you know, quicker than we all think. Um, so I think those sorts of things are going to have quite a huge impact on how we live today. Um, you know, there's in Auckland, we have a pretty poor public transport system. Um, that's improving given the population growth, but it's still pretty lacking. So just looking at how people live um, and, and trying to predict how they may do in the, I guess, medium to, to long term, um, you, you're always trying to sort of look for ways to um, introduce those technologies or improvements in, into your properties. And for your design inspiration, where are you looking for ideas um, well, that's a good one. I mean, you obviously see a lot on the internet, um, Instagram, Pinterest, all those things. Um, I, I subscribe to a lot of, um, you know, architectural publications to get ideas that way as well. Um, but internet's primarily, um, you know, your main source of, of inspiration. And then just driving around and just seeing what's being built out there. Um, but, you know, I, I love looking at stuff that's happening overseas. Um, because you know that just sort of feeds into 
what you could potentially do and also try and offer a, a, a point of difference um, amongst amongst the, the many others that are out there. And tell us, what about some of the challenges you face developing in Auckland? <laughs> um, well, yeah, there's, there's quite a few. Um, I would say when I first got back, it would have probably been not having really a, a track record here. Um, that would have been um, probably my biggest challenge. Um, so that's slowly changing now that I've been back a few years, um, but still, you know, still fairly new to the scene, if, if, you know, in, in relative terms. So that's, that's quite a big challenge and just trying to create a bit of a name for yourself. Um, other things have been like just in terms of funding and, and getting JV partners, again, just because my network's actually quite small here at the moment. Um, building that network has been, um, I guess, it's just a time time thing, um, being in the market and, and just getting out there and, and meeting people. So those things just take the time. I guess on, a, on an operational level, the challenges, yeah, as, as every developer faces, just the, you, you know, your, your consenting is always a, you know, there's always a tension between what you're trying to get consented versus um, what what actually possible. You're always trying to push your limits and, and get obviously the maximum yield out of your site. Um, and um, again, operationally, I guess in terms of the actual build phase, um, working with your builders. And your subbies and and all that. I'm personally, I manage everything myself very directly. So, um, you know, I it's a very very hands on role, um, and um, just managing the whole sequencing of things and and coordinating all that is actually quite a um, time consuming process. And um, you know, it, there's quite an art to it, and as much as there is a science. <laughs> yes, you're certainly juggling lots of balls when you're a, when you're a property developer. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's um, it's it's a lot of fun, but it's also um, a lot of work. <laughs> and so you said you started off doing townhouse developments, and then you want to move into apartments. Can you tell yeah. us about why you want to make that change in direction? Yeah, so I, I guess initially, it, I mean, I, you know, as a as someone who's um, just putting the, the first foot out there in terms of um, coming back to New Zealand, I thought the townhouse typology was a, a relatively straightforward um, approach, and that's how I've, how I, I guess, I've progressed. Um, the apartments, I guess, in terms of a strategic direction for me over the long term, I've really needed to sit down. Um, I guess even in the just the last sort of twelve months, really sort of mapping out which direction I want to go. Um, I think it's important to have a strategic direction in terms of being specialist in an area. Um, the apartment space, really, I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to just because um, there's an opportunity to get more yield that way. Plus, um, I guess my experience um, from London lends itself to that. And um, the market that I'm particularly interested in um, which I see a lot of opportunity in particularly, um, has a, a preference towards that typology. So, so there's a lot of things kind of feeding into that, but um, apartments are kind of where I think it's um, where I think it's heading, to be honest. Yeah, I think in Melbourne there's going to be a gradual move or I mean, it's already happening towards apartment living. It's just it's, it's 
just going to have to happen. The way densities are increasing, you just have to look at the big cities like London or New York just to see the general direction that housing is going to go and it has to get denser and denser as these cities get bigger and bigger. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, urban living is, you know, you don't have to read or search very far where, you know, um, just, you know, um, the world in general are moving. It's more urban. Um, People are looking for that sort of a lifestyle. Um, But, you know, they also want the green spaces and they also want the outdoor side of things as well. So, it's you know, it's a balance of being able to provide that amenity, um, you know, with with that apartment-style living, which, you know, is obviously a very strong... Um, there's a strong attraction towards that and in, in sort of modern lifestyles, um, you know, being close to restaurants and, you know, um, recreational amenity like that, you know, living in an apartment is, is, you know, highly attractive to a lot of people. And that's where I think, you know, the, the market's going, I agree. Yeah, actually, just on the urbanisation of society, I was reading somewhere the other day that it's only been in the last sort of 200 years or since the industrial revolution that people have started living in towns for thousands of years before that most people lived in the country and worked rurally so in terms, yeah, of, yeah. In terms of human history urbanization is a sort of dot on the uh the timeline yeah absolutely and you know don't again you don't have to search very far where they're sort of talking about um how how you know Human, human, you know, human as a civilization right now. Humans as a civilization are, are going through a huge transformation, um, you know, given given the technological advances that we're making. So, um, you know, we're at a very exciting point in terms of um, human civilization. I think. Yeah, and I think one of the issues that we face here in Melbourne around where apartment stock can be developed, it's generally in areas on busy roads or intersections that's sort of where councils tend to zone that kind of development and i mean that's not really where just because you're going to live in an apartment doesn't necessarily mean you want to live on on a busy road and on an intersection what's the sort of view in auckland in terms of where you can build apartments um well yeah as i mentioned um the council have actually been going through essentially a three or four year process of, of essentially upgrading the um, planning rule book, uh, which now is called the unit plan, um, and that's really, really exciting. I think for the next ten to fifteen years for Auckland, um, whereby um, it's really unlocking a lot of uh, land in the central area, which wasn't developable um, based under the old planning controls. Yeah. So getting a lot more um, density relative to height so you're getting um you know all the a lot of the height controls have have been raised up um plus the height to boundaries have changed dramatically um some of the more intense zones have now dropped their density completely so you don't actually have a a limit to how many you can build on a particular site the way they control density is through the other controls such as height to boundary and height so if you've got good design um and, and and a really good understanding of the plan, or sorry, the planning controls. You um, with a bit of creative design, you can actually create or, or come up with some really cool, um, exciting uh, you know typologies and and, and 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 you know and properties. And tell me, how are you going to make that step from townhouse developments to apartment projects? Do you see that being a big step, or 
just get the right people involved? Yeah, 100%. It is about working with the right partners. Um, and that's, I guess, for me, it's a time, a time in the game um, thing. So just, you know, building that track record and demonstrating you can do what you can say you can do. Um, I'm already, I've already got a couple of um, apartment schemes underway. So I've kind of stepped into that space already. Um, but I'm looking to naturally do more um as, as as quickly as i possibly can so i just it's, as i said you know the auckland landscape is, is going through a huge change um you know over the next 10 to 15 years so i just really i'm really excited about that coupled with you know where i want to head or where my business is going so it's yeah it's really exciting times yeah, it's interesting because here in Australia, particularly on the East Coast, there's a view amongst vendors, uh, sorry, lenders and property pundits that there's an oversupply of apartment stock, which is mainly in big towers around the CBD. But mm-hmm. it means that a lot of the lenders have pulled back from lending to any kind of apartment style project. What's the lending environment like for developers over in Auckland? Oh, well, it's, it's really interesting that you should say that. Um, all our banks are actually owned by, by you guys. <laughs> so we, we have to follow um, quite closely in line with um, the policy that's actually set it in headquarters in Australia. So there is actually a big pullback in terms of lending on apartments. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting that you mentioned that point. Um, what they're looking at um, in terms of apartment development, so it's, it's quite location specific so because um we've actually had a a, quite a few apartment schemes coming up right now and actually some falling over because of the 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 funding pullback um lenders are now being able to be quite picky and choosy about who they lend to um and what schemes that they would be happy to lend on so we know it's, it's quite common knowledge now that in auckland there's no or very little appetite for apartments in the CBD, as, you, as you've talked about in, in your um, cities. Um, so there's a very similar um, opinion or sort of sentiment here. Um, what they are looking at with most interest is um, apartments, and the types actually that I'm focusing on are ones that are in areas where apartments are actually in short supply. Um, so I'm, I'm personally looking over the next five to ten years targeting a particular demographic and that's the empty nesters um, and so if, if you can target an area um, where you've identified a, a you know there is short supply um, I know for now I know, I know it, you know having spoken to, to various lenders that there is a actually quite a, a decent appetite for the right scheme and the right location so if you can pick your market um, and pick a particular typology or a product that that market is is you know has you know is really looking for then you know the banks are willing to to lend on that basis um obviously subject track record and all the other things but um but there is still an appetite out there for that sort of a thing i mean that's just a basic business really um you know if, if you can identify a need and and provide a solution to serve that need then you know you will get people backing you which you know obviously includes the the lending portion of it yeah, I tend to describe that group as right sizes rather than <laughs> downsizes or empty nesters. That's a great. That's a great. That's a great term. <laughs> They're just trying to move into a property that's more suitable for their needs. Yep, absolutely. So you know, that's a growing, 
it's a hugely growing market given again back to technology you know we're, we're all living longer um we're generally working a bit longer too you know you'd think that there's a market for um you know all in terms of that sort of the well, certainly the market that i'm looking at targeting you know they've, they've got a higher capital base um so and they're quite discerning so they know what they're, they're looking for yeah, so, i was about to say you're dealing with a fairly sophisticated group of uh, buyers yeah absolutely which is great because again um I, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm very big on quality. So hopefully, um, you know, um, my product stands out um, in terms of that. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that's really important to me is, is building quality. So you just talked about the next five to ten years for your business. And then earlier you talked about sort of looking ahead and doing planning. Can you tell us, tell us a little bit more about what that planning looks like? Is it a formal business plan or is it just sort of, ideas rolling around in your head um it's actually a little bit of both i mean i do um i guess at the end of the year always sort of sit down and with a piece of paper and 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 reflect on what i've achieved and and where i'm looking to go go forward so there is a there is an element of documentation to it but there's nothing formal in the sense of a a business plan that i spend you know a whole month writing I, i don't I'm not a huge advocate of that, um, but equally, I'm also, um, but you know, uh, a big advocate for for planning forward. Um, so I'm trying to sort of, I guess, be efficient about it is what I'm trying to say. And so the stuff that you get down on paper, what does that look like? Um, just goals. Um, just looking sort of, you know, what lessons have I learned? Um, what, where do I want to see myself in um, in future? So five to ten years. And, and sort of extrapolating that out and just looking, working backwards and trying to step through that process and saying, okay, well, that's where I want to be in five or ten years, five and ten years. We, we, you know, how am I going to get there? Um, and nothing's a straight line, as we all know. Um, <laughs> so you're, you're obviously um, having to recalculate and recalibrate, um, but it's always good to have, you know, a direction or a goal so that, you know, you're at least heading in one way um, so that you can continuously um, reassess because that's something that I, I, I think I do quite well is I'm always um, thinking about you know how are you getting to that next step and is it the most efficient way possible. And you mentioned earlier that you do projects or you've got joint venture partners, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So is that how you structure most of your deals? Do you do joint ventures or you just take investors? How do you do it? Uh, no joint ventures. So yeah, so basically working alongside people. I mean, generally they're silent. Um, so I mean, whether you just call them investor partners, I'm not sure. But um, it's 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 like that. That's how it's sort of structured in terms of um, how I get the capital together to to advance these projects. And tell us what have you learned about yourself along the way, Graham? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I sort of sat. Sit, sit down and thought about that. I mean, I guess what I do know is that I am a determined individual. Um, and I think you have to be um, because you get, um, well, every day you, you're faced with a challenge, if not a few. Um, so you, you do need to have the ability to be able to sort of, I guess, charge through it and find a way around it, over it, under it, um, or certainly through it. Um, so you need to be, you have to have that characteristic, I think, if you wanted to 
make it in in this business. Um, as with any business, I think you just need to be determined and not give up at, at you know at the slightest hurdle. Um, I, I I get things done. Um, I think also you know certainly if you're working for yourself, you have to be able to have that ability to get things done and not try and sweep things under the carpet or or whatever. You just have to um, you know swallow that frog as early in the morning as you possibly can and just get get on with it. Um, I think also, you know, having an eye for detail um, I, I, and design, I'd like to think. I, I, um, I'm, I'm very particular, so I like ways, I like things done a certain way. Um, so, you know, if you see a, a particular thing done in, in, on your property in, in terms of the construction side of things and it's not done right, you know, it's um, better to... Uh, bite the bullet and, and get it redone. Otherwise, um, you know, sometimes you know, often you're just going to be looking at it and going, you know, it's just it's, it's always going to be nagging there. So I'm I'm that's just just something about me, really. I think. Um, and you know, I I love what I do. I'm I'm found my niche. I've found what I'm passionate about, and I don't consider what I do work. I, I'm hugely hugely excited about it, and um, I think that's the, the greatest thing finding you know what you want to do and and really enjoying it yeah i feel the same since i left my last job i don't feel like i've worked a day since even though i've been pretty busy most of the time yeah i mean isn't it just great it just doesn't feel like work it's just you know you obviously have challenges and what have you but um but ultimately it just doesn't feel like work it's just you know it's it's a, it's a hobby it's it's just yeah it's just brilliant <laughs> yeah it's a nice hobby to have <laughs> Yeah, it's just the creative side of things, isn't it? I mean, it's just the ability to actually see something come from your own vision and your own ideas to, you know, a completed product that, you know, people will eventually enjoy for many years to come. It's, there's huge intrinsic value out of that, I think. And, um, you know, you get such a buzz out of seeing something come out of the ground and, you know, um, being realized from, you know, what was just a, an idea in your head. Um, it's, it's yeah, really, really cool. Yeah, I'm at that sort of exciting stage of the of our townhouse project at the moment, where it's close to completion and the gardening's being done or the landscaping's being done. And I was out there the other day thinking, God, I can remember buying this when it was an old house with lots of trees and just the sort of not much here, just a vision of doing something with it. And now there's twenty townhouses that look awesome and people are going to be moving in soon yeah no it's just a glint in your eye and now it's just yeah it's all it's all you know coming to the fore so i'm hugely excited for you that's just it's brilliant yeah and then knowing that you can drive past in 5 10 15 years or longer and we'll still be there absolutely yeah no it's just it's a huge buzz it's really cool and still looking good hopefully (laughs) yeah well yeah you can't control that Um, unfortunately the uh the owners will um, obviously have a lot to, to do with that, but, um, you know, fingers crossed. And what about surprises along the way? Have you found yourself surprised by certain things? Um, yeah, I guess humanity. Um, and I say that by, you know, and, and the good sides and the bad sides. You see, you know, you get every day, obviously, having to deal with different people. Um, it is very much a... a a people business um, and you get surprised in a good way by some people really turning things around for you um, or just doing things that you wouldn't have thought they would do 
Um, but then equally on the bad side, you you know, some people just, you know, for example, you just see someone cutting a corner or um, or doing something that you, you wish they hadn't. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just humanity, you know, it, it shows the, the good and the bad in people um, when you, when, when, you know, when you're doing these sorts of projects. Um, so that's something that's really surprised me. Um, yeah. And what do you reckon is the most difficult business decision you've had to make? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I guess it's just in terms of um, when you're when you're going through the planning phase, um, you have to make quite a lot of decisions in terms of design. Um, I'm not sure if this is this is hugely relevant, but I mean, in terms of you know, you have an ideal of, of what you want to build, um, but then you're faced with so many different constraints from from you know anything from planning to funding, like in terms of actually building, as, as um, you know, in terms of design, you have to make some commercial decisions in terms of you know how far you take your product, um, and so you know you have to, I guess, put some of your emotional points aside and, and actually just focus on doing the best outcome that you possibly can um, and I guess you know those compromises are sometimes hard to take um, and then there's the I guess the, the the gray area of planning which you know depending on who you get at council um, you know they can they can alter what you know your your ideal vision is um, in a negative way and so you know you're having to make compromises all along the way so those sorts of things are, are always quite difficult to sort of, I guess, overcome at, at that particular time. Okay. And now tell me if you could go back in time and talk to yourself, what age or point in your life would you go back to and what would you say to a younger Graham? <laughs> um, well, that's a good one. Um, I, I'd say follow your, follow your gut and follow your passion. Um, one thing that I probably didn't do was do that when I was younger. I, 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 I guess just in, in a way I was following the herd and I just, you know, I, I studied a, I studied at university a qualification that didn't really serve me that well, um, certainly in the long term. Um, and I, I actually had an interest in architecture um, and, and property um, even since I was a little kid, but I never really followed it, I guess just through a lack of confidence. Um, so I would say if I you know could go back it was just do do what interests you. Um, and and yeah have a little bit more confidence in yourself and, and just you know back yourself in a way. And um, and also to learn as much as you possibly can. You know, just you are always told by your parents to, to learn and to read and you know to educate yourself. But uh, as a kid do you, do you really do that and you know, it's just one thing that I, I'm definitely going to be drumming into my children is to, um, you know, learn as much as you can and read. And you know, knowledge is definitely knowledge is definitely power. And um, the more you know, the better you are. And so, how do you do that now? Um, well, I read a lot. I, I, I'm a, a, an avid reader. I um, probably read a book a week, if not more. Um, so I do. Yeah, I do a lot of reading. So. And what kind yeah. of books? What are you reading? <laughs> um, well, I read, I, read, I read a lot of books about property, um, you know, just um, books on just 
various aspects of property development, whether it's financing, planning, architecture, construction, technology, um, lots of books like that. Um, I also read, um, you know, um, I read a lot of books on um, psychology um, and anything about human human nature, so selling, uh, motivation, all those sorts of books are, are also of, of huge interest to me. Um, just trying to understand human psyche um, is, is you know, really, really, really fascinating. Yes, always evolving and difficult to nail down exactly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, you know, just trying to understand how humans think and, and how they behave is, is I think, it's, it's all really helpful. I think it all feeds into your product in a way, um, you know, trying to understand what motivates people, um, what what um, what they like and what they don't like. Um, all those sorts of things, I think, have a – you can always try and – well, you can always reflect and relate that back to, you know, your product and, and how you're making your product the best product you possibly can. So um, everything I read, I guess, has a – it always does sort of go back to, to what I do, um, actually. I always try and look to find some way to relate that back to, um, you know, property development. That's a good way of keeping it relevant and helping it stick in your brain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what would you say you've had to sacrifice along the way or what have you had to give up? Um, well, I guess a stable income. Um, you know, you get big peaks and troughs with, with development, so... Um, you get a big payday at the end, but um, you know you certainly get a whole lot of money leaving um, over a long period of time. So I guess that that sort of that certainty of being employed by someone else, I guess you know you sort of have to leave that behind. Um, so that's one thing you just have to get used to. Um, I guess as a in, in in development, and I guess because I'm running my own business. Um, it can be a little bit lonely at times. You're sort of um, having to manage a team and lead a team, but there are times when you're working on your own, and it's um, you know you have to be very self motivated. Um, you have to be um, very driven um, and know what you want. Um, and you know if you're not, then you know it, it can fall over quite quickly because you're you're the person driving the whole project forward. So it, it can be quite quite lonely at times. You don't have um, you know, if you, you're not exactly working for a, a big, you know, a big corporation where you've got people doing um, very specialist jobs. Um, as a developer, you, you are bringing in a lot of consultants and a lot of professionals that aren't actually working directly for you or employed for by by you. Um, so it, yeah, it can be quite lonely at times. Yes, and that was one of the reasons why I started publishing this podcast because. Developing can be a bit lonely. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, look, I have to commend you um, on, on putting this podcast out. It's hugely interesting. I've learned heaps from it. Um, and it's just good to hear other people um, in the space, you know. It's, in, in Auckland itself, I, I find the, the sort of network or, sorry, the property development space quite closed. There's not a huge opportunity to, to network with other developers, people keep things quite close to their chest. It's a very small market in the whole scheme of things. Um, so, you know, you're all sort of fighting over the same opportunities and looking at the same angles. You're probably using the same spreadsheets and modelling. Um, so, uh, quite competitive out there. So, everyone, 
I guess, sort of works largely on their own. Um, and there's not a lot of um, ideas sharing, which, you know, probably is to the detriment of, um, you know, the, the, the sector as a whole, really. Yes, well, I'm always of the view that you can sort of achieve more together than on your own. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I've read that the New Zealand government is introducing, what do they call them, macro prudential controls to limit investment in property. Is that, what's your take on that? Yeah, well, New Zealand as a, as a whole is actually very, very um, pro property in terms of its taxation and legislation. Um, so they're actually, you're right, um, looking to, to try and put a bit of a dampener on the the escalating prices which have happened over the last sort of three to four years. So what the term is the macro prudential controls is, is putting um, tougher limits on um, borrowing um, primarily aimed at investors. So as an investor, um, if you're buying a property, you have to have a minimum 40% deposit. Um, and that's actually taken a lot of heat out of the market. They've ramped that up from initially it was 20% and they went to 30% and then now at 40%. What the um, what um, what New Zealand doesn't have is, it doesn't have stamp duty, um, which um, you know many other jurisdictions do. Um, they don't have um, a restriction on foreign buyers, um, which I know you know other jurisdictions do. So overall, uh, it's actually very um, pro property, but yeah, they are looking to try and take some of the heat out and that. That lever is one of the ones that they've used um, recently. They're also looking at um, doing a debt-to-income uh, control. So they're limiting the amount of uh, a mortgage that you could actually take out based on your level of income. Um, I don't think that they will do that, but there has been discussion about that in recent months. Okay, interesting. We'll see where that heads. Well, I think it, personally, I think it would crash the market if they did that. If they had... I mean, at the moment, I think it's about, I think we're at about 10 times, um, you know, the income level of, of what you would need to, to, to borrow um, to, to buy the average house here. So it's um, yeah, pretty high. And if, if they put a limit on to say, well, I think the, the international norm is around about the five or four, between four and five, if I'm right, I have to check that. But um, I mean, it would really a huge, you know, it would hardly anyone would be able to actually buy a property over here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell me, when you, in 25 years' time, you look back on your career, what do you want to see? What do you, what do you want to be known for? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I just maybe having a, had a positive contribution to wherever I'm developing, I'm, I'm pretty excited about Auckland, so I think this is going to be my patch um, and to be known to have made a significant and and, and hugely positive contribution to the, to the housing stock here so you know that's through good design you know really beautiful design and, and high quality builds um, I just want to be known for that um, there's just over here there's a lot of development going on by people that have you know they're not really backed by any brand or any um, known name the, a lot of builders are out there just sort of in there and out um, it, it'd be good to you know, sort of be known to have you know a, a high quality uh, brand or quality stock that's backed up by, by my brand 
Yeah, well, you'd like to think that you'd get a premium on your sales prices as well for having that reputation. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And speaking of architects and builders, how do you go about finding your team or do you use the same team for each project? Um, well, I guess I'm still in the stage of building a, uh, building my team. I mean, I've got um, – I've been I, – I have to say overall very lucky with who I've worked with. Um, I, I work closely with a builder um, who we've got a very strong relationship with um, and the architects that I've, I've worked with are, have also been of a good quality. Um, but it's, it's definitely through referral and through speaking to others of their experiences with those um, particular or whoever, whomever you're particularly looking for. Um, you know, I just don't lend much weight to just doing a search on the internet and, you know, picking the first few names that you see come through. It's, it's very much word of mouth and um, doing your due diligence really on, on people's names that pop up. And again, because Auckland's so small, um, you actually, you know, it doesn't take long for, for the good names to sort of pop out, um, you know, frequently through, you know, different independent conversations that you have that the good names keep popping up um, regularly. So it's a, it's a good indicator. Yes, when those names keep popping up, you know you're onto something. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and you know, uh, it's been said often enough. I think even on your podcast, where you really have to get you know the best possible people that you can around you. It's the only way that you're going to succeed. So, um, it's important to be continuously looking to get you know the best team that you possibly can working on your project. Yeah, indeed, that's what I'm uh, continually trying to do: tweak the team. Mm. Well, I think as long as you get the really the big pieces of the puzzle right, you're, you're putting yourself in the best position for success. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, you can learn so much from, you know, their experiences. And, you know, one thing that I, I think I've, well, learned over time is, you know, you have to give away some control um, and, and let them be the experts at what they're expert at. Um, and you know you'll learn a lot from from people like that, um, and you know that's 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 one thing that I've learned over time is to you know I am a bit of a control freak, so you have to sort of <laughs> give away some of that control, um, and you will get a better outcome if if you do that. Well, that must be a challenging trait with property development, Graham, <laughs> when you can't do everything. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, you know, you think, you know, yeah, it's just one of those things you just have to let go and and trust the, the people around you to do the best, that you know, best for you and best for the project, really. Okay, can you share with us your top tip for other developers out there? Um, yeah, I guess it would be, um, I've, I've said this, I think, a few times, but just quality. Um, I just seriously focus on quality and everything in my opinion will look after itself if you do a quality product if you if you if you um have a, a quality process that you follow in terms of you know your methodology um you know look for quality people everything just hinges around quality um and i think um you know success will just be a symptom of all of, of everything that you do you know it's it, just things will just look after themselves if, if you if you you know looking for the best quality outcome and everything that you do. Um, I guess the other thing is to have confidence in yourself. 
um, really back yourself and I guess trust yourself that you'll be able to find a way through. You will encounter challenges. There's no two ways about that. Um, but, um, you know, if you persevere and, and you've got determination, you will find a solution um, and, you know, get get really good people around you, which we just sort of touched on before. And, um, you know, look to build relationships, really strong relationships with those people because um, they'll provide you with the support that you need um, and learn as much as you possibly can. So, you know, the thing that I do um, in terms of that is, is I read a lot um, and, um, you know, there's nothing like getting getting stuck in as well, you know, rolling your sleeves up and making sure you're on site every day and, you know, doing whatever you possibly can to to help and, and to learn. You know, it's quite good just being on site, just observing all the trades and all the, you know, the process and um, just learning about how things go together and, you know, sequencing and, and you know, just all oh, there's just so much to, to observe and you learn so much. Um, and that all just helps you um, grow as a, as, you know, in your trade and your profession because, you know, development is such a wide-ranging set of skills um it's it's yes it can sometimes be a bit too all-encompassing but um you know you can learn so much by um you know looking looking at what other people do and and just just learning (laughs) yeah i still think the number one skill for a property developer is people management uh skills yes yes 100 percent. being able to talk you know, and, and this is in no way denigrating, uh, you know, the, your tradesman, but, you know, being able to talk at, at, you know, the trade level right through to, you know, your lawyers and architects and, you know, um, you know, you have to be able to relate to people at so many different levels and, um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite an important skill to have. Mm. All right, so Graham, where can people find out more about you or about Bodemus, your your property business? Um, well, I've got my website, which um, can be found. It's a it's a it's an unusual name. It actually stands for Beautiful House, um, but um, that's at Bodemus, and that's B E A U D O M U S for Sierra dot com. Um, so that's my website. And how did you come up with the name of your company? Um, well, I wanted something a bit unique and a bit original, um, so I got some help from um, a friend, and we came up with uh, this name where it's a joining of, of a, actually a French word and a, a Latin word, um, which is strong, and um, yeah, I was really, really happy with it once we, we, we sort of landed on it. It was through a, a process, really, we went through, um, and we came up with Bodemus, and yeah, really, really happy with it. I like it. It rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Thanks. And I think we've spoken in the past about you establishing a mentoring or an advisory service. Is that something that you've got off the ground or if people in the New Zealand area are interested in that, is that something they could contact you about? Yeah, well, I'm happy to, to help. I mean, if, if people are interested in, um, you know, they might be going on their own journey um, in this space and I'm, I'm always, you know, happy to talk about property i love talking about property i I bore my friends with it so you know (laughs) someone else wanted to talk to me about it i'm only only too happy to to hear from them all right well they can look at the bodemus website and get in touch with you that way yeah absolutely yep all the contact there's a contact page there so if they wanted to reach out that's that's absolutely fine it'd be yeah more than yeah be very very happy to hear from people 
All right, Graham Fan from Bodemus, thank you so much for being on the Property Developer Podcast. Yeah, Justin. Thanks for uh, having me and thanks for inviting me. I, I'm very, I very much enjoyed it. No, it's been great to hear your insights around the Kiwi property market and also the things that you've learned along the way. Thank you. Thanks for sharing them with us and we'll see you later. Okay. See you Bye. later. Bye, Graham. Bye. Okay, there you go. A great chat with a Kiwi developer going places. I really enjoyed talking with Graham about how he approaches his developing. I like how he is thinking strategically about where he wants to be and how he is going to get there. Here's a couple of lessons I took away from our discussion. 1. Focus on quality. Graham said that if you continue focusing on quality, then the rest should follow. I think this is great advice. Quality means different things to different people, so you need to work out how you are going to focus on quality. What does build quality mean to you? What does marketing and sales quality mean to you? And how are you going to monitor them? By figuring out what is important to you, it gives you an opportunity to structure your business and put in place ways of ensuring you and your team of partners and suppliers meet your standards. Staying focused on quality will stand you in good stead over the long term. Two, seek inspiration through education and awareness. Are you learning new things or are you just doing what you've always done? Have you read a book on a completely different industry? Listen to an audiobook about someone you admire? Or flick through a design magazine for some inspiration? Staying inspired will keep you energised and boost your vitality. There are so many ways you can find ideas and inspiration to help your business to evolve. If you don't take the time to refresh your skills and stay relevant, you will become bored and you will also be left behind by your customers and the times. 3. Longer term planning This is a great point that Graham raised. Do you have some thoughts or vision about what you want to be doing in 5 years, 10 years, 20 years? Have you got some of it down on paper? If you want to move into a different style of development, how are you going to make that transition? Who do you need to speak to? What team members will you need to recruit? Pretty much every problem can be solved if you have the right people helping you. So time to get those ideas down on paper and start working out how to achieve them. Alright, here we are at the tail end of another show. Thanks for listening in. Keep a lookout for my next episode where I'll bring you a fantastic discussion with Danny Chiama from Urban DC, a developer delivering some stunning projects. Danny shares with us some of the reasons for his success and I'm sure you will be inspired by what he has achieved. Remember, you can find me on Instagram at Property Developer Podcast for all my development photos and videos. And you can find all the past episodes of the show over at www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com. Okay, until next time, may all your projects be quality developments. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.